0: Turn with me in your Bibles, if you will, for our Scripture reading, for our sermon this morning. We will be in John chapter 13, verses 34 to 35, the Gospel according to John, the 13th chapter, and I'll ask you to stand with me as we read verses 34 and 35. This is God's holy, inspired word for us, his people. And Jesus, our Lord, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is God's holy word. Let's ask him to bless our time with it today. Father, we do ask and pray now that you would send your Holy Spirit from heaven to open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word. That you would open our hearts to receive all that you have to teach and to show us today that you would free us from the hindrances of our own fallenness, our own flaws, our own sin. So that we could run in the path of your word in obedience with hearts full of joy. Free, bringing glory to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right. so today we are going to begin looking at the ten one another commandments. Recall last week just a couple of points that I want you to keep in mind as we look not just at this first of the ten, but all ten. As we go through each of these commandments, a couple things to keep in mind. First of all, those seven obstacles that we talked about last week think about the ones that you need to focus on overcoming. And I underline that word you so that we don't do that thing that we're prone to do and think, oh, you know, I know someone who needs to hear that. (laughs) Oh, so-and-so would really benefit from learning that little thing there. No, maybe that's true, but if each of us would just keep in mind which ones we need to focus on for ourselves that would take care of it. So think, keep those in mind, those obstacles that you specifically need to deal with. Second thing to keep in mind that I mentioned last week is that the imperatives always follow the indicatives. And what I meant by that was the imperatives, all the you shall do this, you shall not do that, all the do and do not Parts of Scripture always come after they always follow all the indicatives all the things that Scripture says is true so we start with what Scripture says is true and then we move to what we did, what we then should do here's what's true the indicative now here's what you do the imperative in other words in the Christian life law always follows gospel Now, before the Christian life, law comes first. Because our law shows us our sin. And then it drives us to Christ. We see ourselves as sinful and in need of a Savior in the law. And then we see Christ as the Savior. And we go to Him in the gospel. That's before you get saved. But once you're saved and you're living the Christian life, you don't go back to the law. You start with the gospel. Law always follows the gospel in the Christian life. Obedience is always a response to grace. It's gratitude for a free gift, not an effort to earn a reward. So start there. All these ten one another's never think, okay, i got to get busy running on a treadmill of one another good works so I can earn something from God. No, we start with the grace and the free gift of the gospel and in gratitude, we then walk in obedience on the narrow way. So don't get those two things switched. Gospel first. Obedience second. And the last thing to keep in mind is this. this is what we closed with last week. Be thinking about your talents, your gifts, your skills, your interests, your opportunities in your own life, given your own family situation, work schedule, whatever your particular situation in life looks like, be thinking about how you can use all those things I just mentioned, your talents, gifts, skills, etc. How can you use those things to take what you learn in the sermons and apply them to your life? And don't be afraid here to get creative. Remember, a spiritual gift is essentially a sanctified talent. It's something that you're interested in, good at, like to do, have a skill, have an opportunity, and then you feel a burden. How can I use these things to serve somebody? How can I use these things to, to do a one another for somebody else? And then get creative about finding ways you can start doing that. And be creative and remember that effort isn't a skill. <laughs> Effort's just a choice to make an attempt. So as we go through these sermons, keep, keep all this stuff in mind and be thinking about how I specifically can go and use these things for one another. Okay, so let's dive in. The first one another commandment. As you recall, what I've done is I've taken all these one another's, these dozens and dozens of one another's, and I've tried to group them together together into ten categories and this one this morning is the most repeated and the most emphasized one another in the Bible and it's the command love one another love one another I had a professor in seminary named dr. Kara and dr. Kara had well he had lots of eccentric things about him and lots of little catch phrases but one that really stuck with me that applies here is this Dr. Carey used to say, we should be as balanced as the Bible is balanced. Meaning if the Bible spends a lot of time on one thing, we should also spend a lot of time on that one thing. We should emphasize what the Bible emphasizes. And if the Bible says just a little bit about this and it's more of a minor detail, then we should treat it like a minor detail. The Bible has a proportion of what it focuses on and what it doesn't what it gives a lot of attention to and what it gives a little attention to. And we should also be as balanced as the Bible is balanced. We we shouldn't spend all of our time on the little little details if the Bible doesn't. As a general rule, that's pretty helpful. And if it's true at all, then that means this one another is the most important one another because it gets the most press. The Bible spends more time trying to get Christians to do this one than any other commandment, loving each other. So it's got to be first. In our passage this morning, Jesus is with his disciples on the night of his betrayal. John chapters 13 through 16 are what we call the farewell discourse. These are Jesus's parting words to his disciples On the night before he goes to the cross. And in chapters 13 and in 15, Jesus emphasizes that love is at the heart of his ministry, his message, and his marching orders for his followers. As we look at this passage in connection with the many others, the many other passages in the New Testament about love. And we'll look at a lot of them this morning as we but we're going to start with John 13 and as we look at the passage we move out to all the other ones that are connected to it we're going to consider these three points about loving one another first love one another is a new command second love one another is a necessary mark and then third love one another makes a noticeable difference. New command, necessary mark, noticeable difference. That's where we're going this morning. Let's dive in. Jesus does something very strange in verse 34. Look at verse 34. He says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. This is very strange that Jesus does this. Because what it sounds like Jesus is doing here is he's making up a brand new command no one's ever heard of before. Like, what do you mean it's a new command, Jesus? You Imagine Peter, the loudmouth in the 12, saying, Jesus, hold on a second. And, and Jesus says, Peter, raise your hand. Yes, Peter. How is this a new commandment? Sit down, Peter, I'm about to tell you. That's very strange. It it sounds like this is something that hasn't been said before. But in fact, love one another is a commandment that comes way earlier in the Bible than John 13. People said this before Jesus did. Uh, As a matter of fact, it comes from the beginning of the Bible. Back in the five books of Moses. In Leviticus 19, 17 and 18... It says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor lest you incur sin because of him. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's back in... Leviticus. So Jesus, what, what are you getting at here? And you know, John himself wrestles with this little quandary. In 1 John 2, 7 and 8, he says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. And you say, okay, all right. It's not an old commandment, it's just a new commandment. But it's also an old commandment. So, okay, John, what are you getting at? And he got this little problem from Jesus. Which is it? Is it old or new? And Jesus explains what he means in the rest of verse 34. It's a good principle when you're studying the Bible. When in doubt, read the text. Let's look at what Jesus says in the rest of 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. From the beginning, we have had this command to love others as we love ourselves. Leviticus 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We've had that from the beginning. That's old. But now, what's new about this commandment is that now we have a new standard of love. It's no longer love your neighbor as you love yourself. Now, Jesus says, love as I have loved. That's what's new here. We have this brand new standard, love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is the perfect manifestation and model of what love really looks like. Until Jesus came, no one had ever seen what the fullness and perfection of love in a human life really looked like. They had lofty ideals and ideas about what it looked like. But no one had ever actually seen it done before their eyes until Jesus came. 1 John 4.9 In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. The love of Jesus is the index of for what the love of God looks like. You measure the one by the other. Jesus says. Or John says about Jesus in John one eighteen: No one has ever seen God the father. But the only son. He has made him known to us. He has revealed God to us. When you've seen me. You've seen the father. Jesus said. This is what divine love looks like in a human life. Perfect fullness love is revealed in Jesus. Love divine, all loves excelling. Now that divine, heavenly, eternal love has been revealed, there's a new standard. A new command. As Jesus repeats in John fifteen twelve, this is my commandment, that you love one another As I have loved you. So the question is. What does the love of Jesus look like? And here Christian. Please know. You will spend an eternity of eternities. Trying to fathom the depths of that love. The love of Jesus. And you'll never reach the bottom. You'll know all there is to know about the second coming right after it happens. (laughs) We're really interested in eschatology and end times and how's it all going to work out and what's going to happen. You'll know it all right at five minutes after the fact. You might have follow-up questions, but it won't take forever to get it. But when we look at Jesus on that tree and what God's only son incarnate did for us, Will never reach the bottom of that. You will spend eternity seeing new angles, new depths, new glimpses. There's more, more, more of infinite love to drink in and to know. More than we could ever contain. That's why it's going to take forever to see it all. What does the love of Jesus look like? We can't see the depths of it, the bottom of it. We can't know it all the way down. But scripture does give us a clue. John 15, I just read verse 12, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. The next verse says, John 15:13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. In the next verse Jesus says to his followers, You are my friends. You are my intimate, close fellows. And I lay down my life for you. And there's no greater demonstration of love. Than the love that Jesus showed when he went to the cross. When he laid down his life for the ungodly. Like us. Jesus gives us himself. All that he is and all that he has. Laying down his own life. For the good of others. His love was a burning passion in his heart, in his soul. But it wasn't only a passion. His love was so much more than a feeling. It was a passion in his heart. It was an attitude. It was a feeling. It had heart. But it didn't just stop with warm feelings about his friends. It actually looked like something. You could watch love in action. And that's the point. It's both passion and practice. It's attitude and action. Heart and feeling, but also behavior. You can watch love happen. Not just feel love inside. And this is now the standard of how you are to love one another. 1 John 3.16. We like John 3.16, but we forget about 1 John 3.16. There's a lot of good 3.16s in the Bible. Here's one of them. By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And you can just substitute brothers for one another. Because brothers means your fellow Christians. He laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love looks like. And therefore we should go and do likewise for each other. 1 John 4.11 Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus is the standard. That's what's new. About this command. We love like Jesus. That takes us then into the second point. This love, loving like Jesus, is a necessary mark. Now, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by mark? I mean that love should mark or characterize a Christian, love should mark you out. It is a necessary characteristic of what being a Christian means and looks like. So, what should our love look like? And why is it necessary? Yes, it should look like Jesus' love. Right. But, remember the whole point of this series is we need to get into the specifics. Because if I just say, go love like Jesus, you can say, okay... And then you have to go and ponder, what does that mean for my spouse? What does that mean for my kids? Does that include people at church I don't know? What would that even look like? How do I even start? Right? We need to get into the specifics. So what should our love specifically look like? And why is it necessary is the point. And for this point, remember, love is a passion plus practice. It's attitude plus action. It's feeling plus the outward behavior. And I want to underline this point before we go further. The action is more important than the feeling. None of us gets to say, yes, I should love my neighbor. I should love one another here. But Jesus, I'm just not in the mood I don't feel like it. You think Jesus is going to say, Oh, well, listen, if you don't feel like it, Oh, fine. Please wait until your heart's in it. And then you can get busy loving somebody. It's, it's going to be life-changing when we all realize, when it clicks for each of us individually, that God doesn't give a hoot about your mood He's not interested. Mood, schmood. That's, you know, second opinions. The book of the... <laughs> book of Second Opinions says that. Mood, schmood. Your heart's not in it. The, the things you got to do in life, you don't feel like it, you still got to do them. And love isn't just waiting for the warm fuzzies to wash over us. and Oh, now I can go love somebody. Ooh, now it feels good. Now I'm in the mood to do it. Try that with your employer. See how long you keep your job. Well, you know, boss, I'm just not in the mood to do it today. We don't get that option. We treat God like that. You wouldn't do that to your earthly employer and we shouldn't do it to God. The action is more important. Because when you do loving things for each other, that person has still been loved. You have still done good for your neighbor. And if your heart hasn't quite caught up yet, good has still been done. And that's better than you just doing nothing and not loving people until you feel like it. The action comes first. And if we get busy doing loving things for each other, our hearts will catch up in time. But we can't just wait until we're in the mood. God's not interested. So, passion and practice. Attitude and action. I have three verses from the New Testament about each of those. Three about the feeling of love. And then three about the doing of love. First, three passages on the feeling. Because the feeling isn't unimportant. It's just not most important. Okay? It's not unimportant. God cares about your heart. He just cares about what you do a little bit more. All right. Romans 12:10. What does love look like? Here's what the feeling of love looks like. Romans 12 verse 10. The first part of that verse says, "Love one another with brotherly affection." Love one another with brotherly affection as a sibling. As a family member. Treat your fellow Christian in your heart as a member of your own family. Because that person is. The body of Christ isn't just described as a body, it's also described as a family. And we are all brothers and sisters connected to one another with Jesus as the elder brother, Romans 8 says. Under one God and Father. Love one another with a brotherly affection. Second verse. First, Peter one twenty two, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. For a sincere brotherly love. Sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is calling for an earnestness in our love for each other. Not a half-hearted, half-baked, ho-hum. It doesn't really matter. doesn't matter how I feel about it. Remember, I didn't say feeling is unimportant. I just said it's not most important. But God does care about our hearts. And He does want us to love each other sincerely and earnestly as fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. And to treat each other accordingly. There has to be a sincerity of love that we cultivate. That we work on. And then the third passage about the feeling of love. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Along with all malice. So he names lots of unloving feelings. Lots of unloving things. He says, get that junk out. Get it out of your heart. Get it out of your mouth. Get it out of your mind. Get it out of your body. Out of your community. Get it out of here. Get it out of your church. It needs to be expunged, wiped away, gotten rid of. Let it be put away. And then verse 32. Instead of all that... Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Be tender hearted. Now this is where the attitude begins to transition into the action. Because kindness is an action. Where you be kind to other people. So out of this sincerity of love. Out of this brotherly affection. Out of this earnest Love for your fellow believers in the Forks Church. Be kind to each other. And just think through. This is where you get creative. Think through what are all the ways I could just be kind to my fellow believer today. That's what love wants to do. It wants to be kind. It's tender hearted towards someone. It has a warm loving feeling. The feeling is real. God cares about that. And we need to cultivate that. And what that begins to do is that love begins to overflow from the heart and actually move out into real life, visible, tangible deeds and actions is we start thinking of how can I just be kind to somebody in my church today? What can I do to bless somebody? Let me just look around and see who needs some kindness. And just think through, what are, get a piece of paper out today and think, what are ten ways I could be kind to somebody? And look, if my heart hasn't caught up with it yet and I'm not in the mood, I can still be kind, can I? <laughs> if you're just having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, and therefore your spouse is too, <laughs> and it's just, you're not getting along, and it, it, everybody's in a bad mood. If there's a knock at the door, and it's, you know, somebody from church drops by, do you know what you're not going to do? What do you want? (laughs) You are going to go to that door with a smile on your face, and you're going to open it and say, oh, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing? Great. Come on in. Yeah. And five seconds before that, you could have killed the next living human being you saw. That's because you're capable of being kind even when you don't feel like it. We do it all the time. And you should be kind to that person who comes to the door even if you don't feel like it. Because, well, I should just act like I feel all the time. That's a bad idea. (laughs) That's a bad idea. Think through the ways you can begin to be kind to people. And as you keep acting kind and being kind, your heart will follow. Your heart, God will change your heart and that's why you have to bathe all of this in prayer. Bathe all of this in prayer and ask for a new heart every day. What's the state of your heart before God? And you ask God through the Holy Spirit to begin to cause the love of Jesus to grow in your heart. And in the meantime, you're going to get busy doing what God says, even if you don't feel like it. Be kind to one another. If we just had that in our heads, I don't care what anybody else does to me today, I will be kind. I will be kind. I will not stoop to whatever level anybody else is coming at me. I'm going to be kind. There's a world of transformation we can bring about around us. If you spread our kindness around. Now that's what love looks like inside. And as we talk about be kind to one another, we've already begun to transition into what it looks like in practice. So here's three passages on that. 1 Corinthians 12, 24 to 26, beginning in the middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body of Christ, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, That there may be no division in the body. But that the members, here it is, may have the same care for one another. Have the same care for one another. What does that look like? Verse 26, 1 Corinthians 12, 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored... All rejoice together. Isn't that beautiful. When you when when part and this is the analogy, when part of your body is in pain, the whole body is aware of it. <laughs> right? You smash your finger in the car door, your whole body is alert to that pain. Your whole body is now focused on that finger. <laughs> you can't not notice it. And likewise, if a member of this body suffers, The whole body. The fingers in pain. Everybody. Focus. Care. Care. And not just when it's a big important member of the church. See what it said? Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body. No division. There aren't important people who suffer and then the not very important people in our church who suffer. Or there aren't the important people that get all the praise and then the non important people that, yeah, And we don't care as much for them. And I don't mean inside, I mean in the way we behave, in the way we act towards one another, because now we're in the practice of love. What does love look like? We don't treat some parts of the body as way more important and honorable and and in other parts, not that important. Not a big deal. So-and-so is going through a hard time. No one likes her anyways. We got to be careful. We have to have the same care, equal care for each other. Even if you don't have a great relationship with that person. Even if in the past you haven't really liked that person. Even if that person kind of rubs you the wrong way. And you know, fellowship, I don't really want to spend too much time talking to that person. Look, I'm not saying be best friends, but care We've got to care about each other in action so that when one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We don't get jealous. We don't get envious. We don't say, why are we honoring that guy? What about what I'm doing? No one's paying attention to me. No division in the body. The same care for each other. Romans twelve fifteen is the second verse. And it just repeats Paul's point. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He's talking about inside the church. So you can reword that as rejoice with one another and weep with one another. We are a people who sticks together through thick and thin. We love each other. We care for each other. We are kind to each other. We do not divide based on who's important and who's not, who we like and who we don't. We rejoice together. We suffer together. We weep together. We are one body. The last verse is this. First John three sixteen. We already read it earlier, but listen to the next verses. First John three sixteen through eighteen. By this we know love that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for one another. Verse 17, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Verse 18, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Genuine love that doesn't just talk, but does If we see someone in our body who's in need and we have the means to help and we have the opportunity, we have enough, we're taking care of our own family and our own bills and our own stuff and whatever and we have enough left over to help somebody else and we have the opportunity, it's right there, nothing's stopping us. We just have to make the choice to put forward the effort and do it. And then you say... No. My stuff, someone else can minister to them. Sometimes we don't have the opportunity, and that's fine. I'm not trying to guilt trip anybody who's like, Well, I'd love to help, but I just don't have enough left over. I don't have a chance to. If that's you, fine. But those of us who do have an opportunity, and those of us who can afford it, and we don't help, we're closing our heart. And John wants us to to really take stock and say, Is that telling the truth about God's love for us? Let us not love just in talk, in word, but in deed and in truth. That takes us to our last point this morning. A noticeable difference. What difference does it make that we seek to be a church that strives to keep this first one another? Well, it makes three differences. And we'll come to a close this morning with these three. First difference it makes is this. All the other nine one another's we're going to spend time looking at together, all the other one another's flow out of this one this one great command love Paul says love fulfills the law love fulfills the law Romans thirteen, eight. 8 owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law Love fulfills the law, Paul says, which means love is the only thing that is able to keep all the other commands, including all the other one another's. That's 1 Corinthians right, 13. If I have faith to move mountains, but I don't have love, it does me no good. The greatest of these is love, Paul says. Here's the second difference it makes first is love is necessary to fulfill all the others It's what all the other one another's comes out of love fulfills the whole law Only love can help us do those, all the other one another's so that's the first difference it makes the second difference is Love is what binds the body of Christ together This is Colossians 3 14 and above all these put on love which binds Everything together in perfect harmony. Love is what we need to bind us together as one. Love is the glue that keeps us connected. Love is the tissue that keeps the body connected. And then the last difference it makes, we come back now to our passage in John 13. Jesus says, a new command, new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And then verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Your love for each other is how people should be able to tell the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian. Our love for each other is how people should be able to tell a church from a social club. Jesus says, this is the necessary mark and the noticeable difference that I want the world to see when they look at my disciples. Say whatever else you want to about them. They mess up a hundred ways. They're imperfect. They don't always listen to what I say. But by goodness, this thing is true of them that no one can deny. They really love each other. That's the heart of who Jesus is. His ministry, His message, and His marching orders to us. This is the noticeable difference. And too often it's not visible and noticeable to outsiders to visitors. Sometimes maybe even we can look across and say, yeah, I don't feel it, I don't see it either. So this shines a light on where we need to be focusing our efforts to get creative, to get intentional, to get purposeful in finding ways to be kind to each other, to care for each other, to love each other, so that we can then be the people If the world looks at and sees an example of what does Jesus' love look like in action, look at His people. Look at us. How will you overcome those seven obstacles that hinder us from being the body of Christ that God calls us to be? It begins and ends with love. So Christian, here's what we do. Beginning today, beginning this week, Cultivate an attitude, a passion. Make up your mind right now that you will overcome these obstacles and you will begin to love one another. Start loving where it hurts like Jesus did. Remember the saving love of Christ and in gratitude follow his path. His example and love without limits like He did. And now, Christian, I'll leave you with this. Begin thinking about how you individually and specifically can use the time, the talents, the interests, the skills, the resources, the opportunities that God has blessed you with to bless the socks off of one another with generous love. And pray. Bathe all of this in prayer. Pray for God to begin leading you to someone by name that you can begin to love and care for and be kind to. This week, ask Him to show you who needs to see His love. Ask God to fill you with the love of Christ and then to send you out to be an agent of his love to one another for his glory and for our good. And ask, the world, ask that God would show the world, starting with us, what love really looks like. Let's pray. Father, we do ask one simple thing this morning that you would fill us with your love That you would help us to cultivate the kind of heart that you want us to have that we would begin to be new creatures on the narrow way help us where our hearts are weak help us where our motivation is lacking help us where we've just been blind or we haven't been paying attention help us where we've failed in the past Lord protect us from being Crushed by any kind of sense of guilt, and give us joy that we get to do this for each other. Lord, sweeten our obedience, prevent it from feeling like a burden. Help us cast away our sin, to throw off all of our hindrances and our hesitations, change our hearts. Move us towards one another in love. Make us the kind of people that love like Jesus, that look like Jesus, that embody, that incarnate His love in our body at the forks. And may that love spill over to those around us, to those who are lost, who need to see your love as well. Change us, Lord. Use us in incredible ways that we might grow in our love for each other, in the depth of our sincere brotherly affection, in our earnestness. Change our hearts, O God. Make us who you want us to be. And may we give you all the glory. May you be pleased with us as we seek to follow Christ in all of his ways of love. Love divine all other loves excelling. Do it through Christ our Lord we pray for his name's sake, for his glory. Amen.